1: the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Did you know that today, Wisconsin produces more than 600 varieties, types, and styles of American, international style, and original cheese that win more awards than any other state or country? To learn more, visit eatwisconsincheese.com. I'm Erica Wides, host of Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadio Network.org for thousands more.
2: Cutting the Curd is produced by Heritage Radio Network, a nonprofit, member supported radio station devoted to all things food. Help keep HRN alive by becoming a member today. Go to HeritageRadio Network.org and click on the beating heart to donate. Do it now or else. We mentioned Daphne Zeppos a lot on this show, most recently on our episode with Jason Hines of the Neal's Yard Dairy about effective cheese mongering. For those of you who don't know who Daphne Zeppos was, Daphne was an outspoken advocate for artisan and traditional cheese production and spread her cheese gospel through the American Cheese Society at Slow Food's biannual festival, Cheese and Bra, and in courses throughout the world, including the Cheese School of San Francisco, Neal's Yard Dairy in London, and Zingerman's in Ann Arbor. She made a lasting impact on the profession of cheesemongering in the U.S. and worldwide. I was fortunate enough to say Daphne was one of my mentors in this business. Um, She picked me up when I was down, um, took a chance on me when no one else would, actually. Um, I was between work, and uh, she picked me up and got me a job at the Essex Cheese Company. Um, I was their first employee, and... uh, and it was really, really a difficult and challenging experience, and it tested the bonds of our friendship. I was lucky enough to call her my friend, and uh, she taught me a lot. You know, um, she was a mentor, I think, to a lot of people. Um, and um, and it was a, this was a shame to lose her. Um, unfortunately, Daphne passed away in 2012. But like the visionary she was, Daphne conceived of a scholarship fund dedicated to educating future leaders of the American cheese industry. This scholarship is the Daphne Zeppos Teaching Award, uh, known simply as the DZTA, and it awards recipients $5,000 to travel through Europe uh, to immerse themselves in cheese learning and then come back and share their newfound knowledge at the American Cheese Society's annual conference. Welcome to Cutting the Curd. As always, this is your host, Greg Blaze, and today we're interviewing two winners of the DZTA. Tom Perry, the 2015 award recipient and cheesemonger at Potash Market. He's on the line with us from Chicago. Hey, Tom. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. Hey, what's up, buddy? How you doing? <laughs> <None>. <laughs> Good to have you. And then I, you. Have, I have Sam Frank in the studio with me, this year's DZTA recipient, recipient and prior guest of Cutting the Curd and an affineur at Crown Finish Caves right here in Brooklyn. Um, congrats, and welcome back to the show, Sam. Thank you very much, Greg. Great to be here. Awesome. The DCTA episode is becoming one of our annual traditions, so if you want to hear more about previous winners, check out episodes 146 with Jess Perry and episode 233 with Emily Sharton and Tom Perry before he headed out on his scholarship travels. So I'd like to start out by asking you, Tom, how did your ACS presentation go?
3: Uh, As far as I know, it went pretty well. I haven't gotten any official feedback, but everybody that was in attendance said uh, that it It was pretty well uh, received, and and people were really digging it. I had a lot of people come up to me afterwards asking me for the written version of the presentation because there was a lot of dense knowledge being taught that session, too. Awesome.
4: um, I I I was there for it, and I would definitely say that it exceeded, personally, my expectations. It was a pretty landmark presentation, and I don't think there's really been
2: anything like it that's preceded it at the American Cheese Society. That's awesome. For those of our listeners oh. who missed your ACS presentation or our last EZTA episode, uh, remind us again of your research topic, Tom.
3: I'm sorry. Could you repeat that?
2: So for any of our, our listeners that um, that weren't at the ACS or didn't hear our last episode with you, could you tell us what your research topic was?
3: Oh, sure. Sorry about that. No, you're um, good. So um, so basically my, my, my original vision was uh, to investigate – Um, uh, cultures or countries that had developed or uh, investigated their native starter cultures, uh, particularly Switzerland, France, and to a degree the U.K., well, the U.K., but the ones that really have done a lot of investigation were were, were Switzerland and France, and then how we could use those methods to develop our own native starter cultures, Um, because... Kind of it off of like the whole terroir notion that um, the, the the microbes that you have closer to home are gonna play better with the microbes that are found naturally within your milk. So um, so I I, uh, I I went to those uh, I went to Switzerland, uh, France, and England and got to uh, talk with some really amazing people, um, particularly the folks at Agroscope that do all of the cultures for. Swiss Association cheeses, um, and also I visited a research station of INRA, uh, which is one of the French uh, research facilities, uh, particularly the one in Poligny where they do a lot of research with Comte and L'Orgeais. And then in the UK, I also got to uh, speak with uh, the team at Barbers, who are the ones that um, have propagated and most of the cultures being used by artisan producers in England right now.
2: Awesome. What was the the highlight for you?
3: Uh, There there are a number of highlights. Um, First of all, uh, well, first I started my trip, well, I started the whole research project not long after we talked. Uh Um, I went to go visit with, like, Andy Hatch and Willie Lane here up in Wisconsin, and I was also able to make a couple of trips to the NISCO and Chris Hansen, uh, they also have facilities in Wisconsin. So I was able to speak with those scientists, even though they didn't let me record them. They, they, they introduced a, a lot of knowledge uh, that I, I didn't have before. And then after that, it was like probably about six months of just hardcore reading, like Keys and Microbes, uh, by that was edited by Kathy Donnelly. And then when the Broadwin book, as I like to call it, or the, the Raw uh-huh. Milk, Uh, Microbiology book came out Uh, I devoured that um, Along with a lot of uh, academic Papers that were made available to me Online through uh, Various folks that were like oh you should read this Um, But um, Probably uh, And then once I Actually started the trip I went to Vermont um, And spent time with Sister Noella uh, Yeah that's uh, great The loudest which was, was awesome, and, and you know, she, she was just so generous at the time. She, she she was like, you know, I've got nothing to hide. It's It's been on film twice now. Um, so that was outstanding. Um, going up to uh, Parish Hill Creamery sure. uh, in uh, West Westminster, and uh, talking with Peter Dixon and Rachel Shaw about how they're sourcing their cultures by making their own, essentially. Um, and then from there, going up to Jasper Hill, which are going, like, the opposite direction. And, you know, as opposed to where Peter and Rachel are, like, you know, these are cultures. We don't necessarily know what's in them, but they make the team <laughs> yeah. very happy with. Um, and Jasper Hill uh, is, um, they have their own staff microbiologist, Thayer, who Amazing. has been working with Ben Wolfe and, uh, and Dr. Dutton, um, Rachel Dutton. Uh, to track down uh, microbes that are unique to their land, their facilities, their animals, and their milk, uh, which is pretty cool in its own right. That you know, there's somebody taking that step right now. Yeah, that's great. Um,
2: did you did even you find? Research it. Oh, I'm sorry to cut you. Did you find that people were more or less forthcoming with all of that information than you originally thought they would be?
3: Uh, there, they, especially folks in Europe, were a lot more forthcoming. Uh, with the information that I thought they would be, um, the, and, and even uh, Jasper Hill, you know, they, they were very, very open about what they were, what their ends were, yeah. and how they were trying to achieve it. I, I, I don't think that, you know, it's necessarily public knowledge, but they, they were happy to share the information, and I was happy to, you know, share what, you know, their methodology was. If not, you know, not the exact finding, um, and, to, and 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 I, I thought when I went to go with Agriscope or Barbers or Inra, like uh-huh. it would just be like, you can't record us, you, you can't, you can't, you know, ask us these questions. We, we don't want to talk to. You. They're yes. like, oh, ask us whatever you want, and I, I, I and they let me record them as well, which was amazing because. <laughs> you weren't expecting it, it that at all. Overcoming could, some of the accents and, and, and stuff. Sure. And not losing something in translation.
2: Yeah. Um, Were you, um, just for, just, could you just explain for our listeners what those facilities or what those places are um, as you, you know, what, what they do in terms of your project? The barbers? Um,
3: um, so, uh, do you or, mean like INRA and agriculture? Yes, or? exactly. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So Agriscope is like a federal uh, research institution uh, in Switzerland uh, that was set up uh, in the mid-1800s. It was initially uh, designed to study viticulture and wheat, as a lot of these initial, like, agricultural uh, science outposts in in Europe were were, were meant to do. It was a way to improve output and also to study what, what was, you know, Important to them from a cultural perspective. Um, So, um, and then by around the turn of the, you know, century and going into the 20th century, um, especially after the acceptance of germ theory and, you know, better understanding of like a microbial world, there was a lot of research that really started getting pushed towards, especially the dairy sciences. Um, So, agroscope, uh, particularly the, the, the station at Leedsfield, which is just outside of Barren, they were re- very instrumental, um, particularly like a uh, doctor Edward von um wow. and uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, our and doctor Jensen. Uh, they, they helped really tamp down a lot of the thermophiles uh, that we use in the cheese making today. And this was in Switzerland around the turn of the century, World War One era, um, and then Inra uh, was in a similar position, but they were disrupted by a couple of world wars, Um, but but they they made serious strides towards improving and sustaining their own agricultural setups, Um, and then in the 70s is when they really started adding microbiological labs into the mix, um, tracking down what made their cheeses uh, tick, so to speak.
2: Cool, and um, as yeah. you as though as they were forthcoming, did that change the scope of your project for you at all? Uh, I mean, as you started to visit and do, and do more research and uh, and talk to those guys, did that change what you thought was possible um, for your research for your own for your own project?
3: Well, I mean, what it did was it, it kind of opened my eyes. It, 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 so uh, the conclusion that I came to was the majority of the major acidifying properties. Uh, that we use for, or microbes that we use for cheese have been found. Uh, yeah. But there are sub-strains and there's obvious evolution that goes on in the microbial world because you really can't fight it. And, and basically the strains that we're using now are kind of what I'm referring to as like frozen snapshots in time uh-huh. uh, uh, of acidifiers. Uh, like we, we have these dominant strains that are being propagated and used over and over and over again. And that has its own concerns, but you know so far it's been safe um and the 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 reason that we're they're buying and researching still is because um primarily it's to prevent against uh bacteriophage, but you know it, it also keeps the gene pool pool robust and and uh allows for you know a bit more safety uh, sure. on these ends. so. So, I mean, basically anything that we do find right now in terms of its major uh, uses is going to be substrains of the major lactic acid bacteria that we're using now, um, and, and as well as adjuncts and molds
2: and yeast that are, are, are part of the microbial makeup. Cool. Hey, Sam, well, I always want to keep the gene pool, pool robust. That is uh, <laughs> that is a good thing to do on all levels. Always. So, uh, as a cheesemaker and, and a cheese affineur, do you find Tom's research, you must find, and you said that was a landmark presentation at the ACS, so that must just be amazing news to you.
4: Absolutely. I mean, uh, You know, Tom's whole project is essentially trying to build on this notion of American terroir, our own taste of place. And there's been so many, so much efforts have been made, you know, as the American artisan cheese industry has continued to grow to producing better quality milk that is more of an expression of the landscape. Um, But then when you are propagating this milk with these commercially produced cultures that come from, you know, uh, you know the amount of culture-producing companies you can count on one hand. You uh-huh. know, like it's a very, uh, very undiverse gene pool there, and and it's also replacing uh, the native microflora in the milk, which is a true expression of that landscape, with these cultures that are found and that are that have been isolated by these labs. So, to me, it's very exciting to even just start this conversation and to see where it goes as the as the American artisan cheese industry continues to grow.
2: Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, and and welcome back to the show, Sam. Thank you. (laughs) Super happy to have you here. Our listeners may remember you were also on our show before, episode 209, all about cheese research and development with Crown Finish Caves and Sugar House Creamery. Uh, It's great to have you back. And your project is related to dairy cows, correct?
4: Yes. Uh, Well, my original vision was just about dairy cows, but I I might... Be branching out into sheep and goats as well. Nice. Yeah. Um, And so, yeah, kind of. I actually, when I when I wrote my vision, I uh, gave a shout out to Tom because, like I said, his whole his whole uh, project is trying to build on this notion of American terroir, and so I was inspired by that to pursue something I've been interested in a long time, which is Native uh, American heritage breed animals. Excellent. Um, Which is something that is not, there's not a lot of information out there about these animals. Um, These are breeds of cows that, um, like, such as the American milking Devon, the Randall lineback, the Canadian, uh, the milking shorthorn. These are all very old breeds that are native to North America that today are critically endangered of extinction. Um, So there's little efforts being made to repopulate our dairy farms with these traditional dairy breeds, um, because, you know, the United States went, uh, the way of conventional agriculture and we invented it. Um, and so dairy farming is no different in that regard. So, you know, when most people close their eyes and picture a cow, they see a black and white spotted animal and that's the Holstein cow. That's just one breed of cow, the milk machine, the milk machine bred to produce milk, uh, more than any other breed. Um, which is great and you know and I I also just want to make it clear that like I am not a dairy farmer I do not know everything about the business of dairy farming, and I have nothing against people
2: that are milking Holstein cows. Well, that's good because you know there were a bunch of guys lined up outside of here, you which know, <laughs> <farmers> yeah. <laughs> waiting to, to end you if Bushwick you had said with thing. dairy farmers. They're right they're right outside the window. <laughs> but that being said, where are you going to travel, or what are you going to do to you know to further your research to keep these uh, these breeds are going?
4: So yeah, so my whole idea is to look at. Europe as a model, because there's a lot of regions of Europe where they're still milking their traditional breeds that they've been milking for hundreds of years to make their traditional cheeses. And even though, you know, in the last couple centuries, we have these more modern uh, conventional breeds that can produce more milk than their own traditional breeds, but yet they continue to use these old breeds. Um, So in in my original vision, I proposed going to Normandy, uh, sure. on the coast of France, to look at the Normandy cattle, um, where you know cheeses such as Camembert and Pont l'Evêque have been made from their milk for centuries. Um, Decent butter too. Not bad butter. Caramels was, also. Yeah, every everything day. Um, and then I also wanted to look at the Salers breed oh, sure. uh, in Averne, uh, which uh, traditionally they make Salers cheese. And uh, that's
2: a cheese that's almost extinct. right? That's there.
4: right. And and real Saint Nectaire as well, yeah. which has traditionally been made from their milk. And sure. That cow in particular, the at this point don't know much about them. They're incredibly rustic animals, very old world breed that, uh, in fact, even to milk them, they first have to let the calf suckle the mom's teat before she will actually let her milk down for the humans to take to make into cheese. So it's like, I mean, I can't imagine how incredibly long and hard of a process just one of the two daily milkings (laughs) is to get enough milk to make cheese. Um, that's some
2: coordination. That's a little bit of logistics. So. Quite
4: a bit. I watched a video one time, and just it was just showing them milking one of the cows, and that entire process took at least like seven or eight minutes, and this was like a herd of 50 cows. Right. Um, so that was another one. Another breed was the Tarantese. Oh, sure. In the French Alps, yeah. which has traditionally been used for uh, Beaufort, yeah. Abondance, uh, some Reblochon. And, uh, All cheeses that are, are fleeting. Yes. And these cows are uh, very genetically unique because they've been isolated in, you know, that particular part of the French Alps for so long that they are very well bred for that, you know, particular region of the world. Um And then next I wanted to go into Italy a little bit, and I was actually hoping to talk to you more in the future, Greg, about this uh, because I wanted to look at the Vaca Rosa, the famous red cow of Emilia Romagna that Parmigiano-Reggiano traditionally was always made from.
2: Almost Um, disappeared. I mean they were down to like – three-digit numbers i right. think in cows yes at, at one point you know
4: um which i will say all of the american breeds i noted they are all in the three digits yeah. there's only a, a couple hundred of each of those breeds and the red cow i think is a particularly interesting case because they've essentially built this brand yeah. of parmigiano reggiano around this breed of and cow. it's good
2: cheese man yeah I mean, and
4: it's great <laughs> it's an excellent cheese and i think you know, in a place like the United States, where we are all about branding and marketing, that this is actually kind of a pretty interesting sure. approach that perhaps could be mimicked here. Is like, how do we build a brand around an animal as opposed to, you know, a cheesemaker?
2: We're gonna brand cutting the curd. I'm gonna have some cutting the curd thongs made up. It's awesome. gonna be t- some temporary tattoos. You know? Great, great. <laughs> Everyone loves a good temp tat. No, but seriously. Um... Yeah, I would love to talk to you about that in the future. And uh, so, Tom, how do you when how do you plan to keep teaching this, you know, what you've learned on your trip even now that your ACS presentation, you know, is is over?
3: So uh, probably uh, uh, I'll probably end up doing the uh, fancy food circuit. Uh, yeah. I'm hoping to uh, do it in San Francisco, uh, New York, as we get closer to that one. Um, obviously, I'd like to uh, present it here in Chicago to – our little cheese group that we've got going on um, sooner than that, Um, and pretty much anywhere else that would have me, so to speak, uh, already thinking about also what I'm going to be investigating hopefully for next year, um, uh, for next year's ACS, and just kind of building upon this notion of developing our own cultures, or, or more importantly, how important our own native microbes are to the cheese that we're
2: producing fantastic as a follow up to that sam who is going to be your target audience to further what you're going to learn in your trip
4: uh as as far as like who who do i want to reach with what i'm i mean cheesemakers cheesemakers and dairy farmers um you know i've talked to just a small handful at this point and about my idea and, and have had a mix of reviews i mean some people think it's you know, very important work that needs to be done and Uh needs to be investigated. But, you know, there's also realistic individuals out there that say, you know, if you are trying to run a business, you know, it's all about numbers. And, you know, a Holstein cow and Jersey cows, like they, we know that they can produce milk and you can produce cheese from their milk. But a lot of, there's a lot of skepticism around these other traditional old world breeds that do not, produce sure. the insane similar
2: insane volumes of milk but so the, but the truth is always somewhere closer to the middle you know what i mean right like and, right. and you need to do the work you know right. what i mean uh, uh these animals were around it's not like they became obsolete right you know exactly I mean? so, so 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 the truth's in the middle somewhere yeah and ideally you
4: know there will be i will reach some dairy farmers and cheesemakers out there and we'll get them thinking about it and even if it's not you know converting your entire herd right away to to this one of these old breeds but you know just thinking more about agricultural biodiversity in general and having a more diversity among your animals genetics and trying to have different kinds of milk components in your herd so maybe it just means mixing up your herd or crossbreeding or you know i mean Breed The the whole topic of breeds is kind of a vague topic in general, and so maybe we could even start to see new breeds being created over time. And I've even heard of cheesemakers that are trying to develop their own breeds on their farms.
2: Information is key, and the thing is that you're going to provide people with information to make an accurate choice about where they want to go with their animals. That's the goal. We're going to take a little bit of a break, and then we're going to come back and talk to these guys a little bit more.
1: Music for this commercial break is brought to you by RecTech, and this track is called Dues Paid. Today's program is brought to you by the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Wisconsin produces the world's best cheese. Period. Why? Lush grasslands, glacial water supply, fourth-generation cheesemakers, combining old-world tradition with the new ideas and highest standards, the very best milk. What do you think of when you think of Wisconsin cheese? For me, I think cheese curds, delicious, fresh cheese curds, or deep-fried cheese curds. Cheese curds literally any way, any any place. I think about Andy Hatch and Upland's Cheese Company, the operation behind the Pleasant Ridge Reserve cheese that's literally America's most awarded cheese. I think of the deliciously stinky Limburger and its long-storied history. I think about Raleigh's Dumbarton Blue, a perfect blend of English-style cheddar and notes of blue. I think of Emmy Roth's Grand Cru Cherchois, which was named 2016's World Champion at the World Championship Cheese Contest. Wisconsin is like the world champion of cheese, and once you start reading the list of cheeses made in Wisconsin on their website, you can see why. The Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board is a nonprofit organization funded entirely by Wisconsin's dairy farm families. Read more at eatwisconsincheese.com, and as soon as you're done listening to this podcast, eat Wisconsin Cheese. It's a no brainer welcome back to
2: cutting the curd we're talking with tom perry and sam frank about their daphne seppos teaching award projects um for the second part of the episode i wanted to first ask tom if he has any advice for sam as he embarks on his project or for any of our listeners who want to travel and learn about cheese or perhaps apply for this award
3: so it's funny that you say that you ask that, because I, I must have bombarded Sam with, like, three emails now about stuff that he should, you know, think about uh, or things that might go on while he's on his travels. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a
4: novella, you could call it.
3: <laughs> so, um, so, I mean, what, one thing that I would always suggest—so or, or, if you're going to apply for DVTA, which I encourage everybody that really wants to do this to do— but first, think that you're probably going to be away from home, work, your family for about a month. Um, Sounds great. Learning about tea, <laughs> which 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 is which is awesome. But I mean, it, 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 while I had some amazing experiences, and I would never, never not do this, there were certain certain points where it was like really lonely, um, and, and just kind of take that into account. Um, I also have told Sam, you know start saving now that like take 25 bucks out of your paycheck and you know just put it in another bank account and like have that accrue before you travel um, because you know five five thousand dollars is a great start but it may not necessarily cover everything um what else would i suggest start planning as soon as possible um the the thing that's Unfortunately, a little annoying about receiving the, the award at the end of July is that all of the people that you want to like reach out to in Europe are on vacation. Yes, they are.
2: <laughs> <laughs> they all are. I have no cheese coming in from Europe
3: right now. <laughs> exactly. So, so while you're rearing to go and, and you know just wanting to like get going as soon as possible, they're on vacation and and it's kind of this radio silence sure. for about a month, and then it's another month while they're catching up on those emails they missed over August. Um, and, but, you know, just also, you know, be prepared to ha- like have extreme jet lag because you're going to like sure. get in. At, at, I've never had jet lag as bad as I did on this trip because my schedule was altering so much. I, I would, you know, be up late one night and then I'd have to be up at 4.30 the next day to uh, meet up at a, at a, at a cheese dairy and then I, yeah, Their day starts
2: know. early, man. You know, I mean that's.
3: <laughs> and then you're and then you're crossing multiple time zones. Sure. And, it, and also the language barrier. Be yeah. prepared to like start your Duolingo or Rosetta Stone learning now. Um, and and you know, fortunately, the places I traveled, um, a lot of people spoke pretty good English. But there there were a couple of times when I relied heavily on my high school French, and sure. I, I, I'm thankful for it. Um, but you know,
2: j- j- just you're talking just, like general road warrior esque, you know, things. But Sam, you're you're a you're a veteran traveler, right? I mean, you know some of these things, right? You yeah, know? yeah, I yeah. think so. That's good. That's good advice. I mean, for anybody. Yeah, I mean, I, and I've done that. I've done that too. You know, the I've done the Europe lags where like. You know it's it's not it's 6 a.m somewhere but it's not 6 a.m in your mind What i mean
4: luckily i have got a i'm very adaptable to time zones yeah i just need one one sleep and i'm good to go
2: that's awesome and i used to be that way many many years ago (laughs) now i need multiple sleeps per day just to make it through (laughs) um so both of your projects revolve around this idea and you mentioned it before of capturing the essence of terroir here in america Tom, through the microbiology of the milk, and Sam, through the breeds of dairy cattle, used to produce that milk. Um, could you guys elaborate on the idea of terroir in the U.S. and what you envision the landscape of American cheese will be through the lens of terroir? Maybe, Sam, you can start us off on that.
4: Yeah, I think, I mean, like I was saying before, there's, there's been a lot of efforts, um, you know, as this industry has developed to be producing better quality milk. Um, that is more of an expression of the landscape, and you know rotating your cows on pasture and making seasonal cheese um, and I think you know the more the more people that are producing grass based cheese then the more uh, the more our terroir is going to develop certainly um, and you know especially the United States is such a giant country that you know encapsulates every topography and climate. Uh, you know, there's lots of different varieties of of uh, pastures and non pastures out there. You know, there's sure. there's you know parts of the Southwest where it's you know it's kind of maybe similar to parts of Spain, uh, southern France, southern Italy that are a lot more arid, um, that are you know more. More suited for different kind, different animals, different kinds of cheeses. Um, so, yeah, I just think the more that people are tailoring their cheeses to their landscape, uh, the more, you know, the American terroir will continue. To and America
2: is amazing like that. We have everything here. We have deserts. We have we have Arctic territories you right. know what i mean we yeah. got and we have literally everything in between yeah so it's all there every type of grass every type of animal every type of human being somehow can exist here so exactly yeah so the more we use our own stuff the better off we can you know make an expression of our own landscape
4: yeah and and i also think that um you know you i feel like And generally, you see a lot with uh, um, new cheesemakers that they they produce a lot of different varieties of cheese, Um, which, again, I think, you know, from a business standpoint is you're trying to appeal to the widest audience possible. So some people might like cheddar. Some people might like brie. Some people might like mozzarella. So you try to kind of do it all. Um, and it seems like you end up kind of trying to imitate a lot of these different European styles. and Not always well. And not not always well.
2: Sometimes very well.
4: Sometimes incredibly Sometimes better well. than the original. Exactly. Um, but so I, what I think would be a really cool thing to see is if more cheesemakers kind of tried to hone in on their product lines. And so instead of creating all these different European styles to try to appeal to this very wide audience, like – you know, develop your own style and stick with that, and make that your <laughs> your brand and your product and your
2: image. What do you think about that, Tom?
3: Well, I mean, actually, what I was about to say dovetails perfectly with what Sam just said. Because you know, being Americans, we don't have a PDO. We don't have a system like that. We can do whatever we, we don't want. We have a cultural tradition that we're necessarily falling back on, like. The thing that is American terroir is our uniqueness, like the uniqueness that we have in all the different cheeses, the American originals. Like the closest thing that we probably do have to a PDO or a set style of cheese, is cheddar. Sure. Uh, and, and you know, from, you know, Atlantic to Pacific, you, you've got your vast different styles of cheddar, your, your, your classic New England cheddar, your Wisconsin cheddar, and like your, your, your West Coast cheddars. And they've all got their unique stamps. Um, and, and, you know, the way microbiology is, like, it's not like you're going to have, like, a general, you know, like, like you're not going to have this big cloud of, like, you know, uh, Lactobacillus, like Helveticus or whatever, hanging over and, like, that will influence the cheese make. No, like, literally every plot of land is going to have its own different microbial makeup. And yeah. That's what the ter- real terroir of American cheese is. Is it, 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 It's everything that we have, and there are new things that we can attain out of it.
2: Yeah, that's that's fantastic. I mean, and I and I agree with all that. I mean, I'm the end of the line, you know. I'm just a cheesemonger. I sell the cheese. Um, and I just think that it's fantastic um, that you guys are doing this kind of work because – Makes my job that much more bet, much more easy and better to do. You know what I mean? And all the information that you have then flows downhill to me, and uh, and I can be a better cheesemonger as a result of it. Cool stuff, man. As a final question, uh, both of you guys did the DZTA five k at the ACS. Um, i can 't run anywhere unless someone 's chasing me, um, and even then um, <laughs> even then I might not make it. Um, what was that experience like? Um, I saw some pictures on social media social media, and it looked like a great time what did you Did you have a good time sam
4: oh man it was It was a fantastic way to end the conference. There was a lot of a lot of camaraderie you know i mean at this yeah. this was the la- this was after the conference was over, so you know most people had fled Des Moines by that point, so the, we were like the The last stronghold of the American Chief Society (laughs) Conference of 2016. And, you know, everyone was there, you know, there was not any kind of competitive atmosphere at all. Everyone was just there to have a good time and there to support DZTA and to just kind of see each other off uh, in a positive atmosphere. Awesome. Totally.
2: You You had a good one, too. Obviously, you both made it. Yes. Loud, cause we we yeah, because you're both both the finish line. <laughs> That's fucking great. It's great.
3: <laughs> <about that. laughs> yeah, I finished in last with uh, Anthea Stoltz from uh, California Cheese Guild and uh, and Tamara Bacon, who's at Boxcar for the summer. So awesome. it, it was a nice it was a nice leisurely run for me.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. Well, I want to thank you both for coming on the show, and congratulations to both of you again. I'm looking forward to having you on again next year, Sam, to talk about your experience and travels. Um, Thanks to everyone for listening. If you want to learn more about the Daphne Zeppos Teaching Award or you want to donate, visit DaphneZeposTeachingAward.org. Stay tuned next week for a recap of the American Cheese Society Conference featuring Best of Show winners with Diane Stemple. Take care.
1: Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio.